Now, I'm not saying that we need to, or we should manipulate people to buy something that they didn't intend to buy. I do emphatically believe we have a responsibility to expose them to the consideration so that they can make an educated decision and really choose what serves them best. So if you are better in some capacity, you have to market. It's your responsibility. It's the kindest act you can do is to show people what you can do for them. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. I'm sure you know this. Your customers are bombarded with distracting messages and experiences all day, every day. And it's really hard for any one business to cut through all that clutter. Too many business owners are left frustrated because they feel invisible in a crowded marketplace. They know they're better than their competitors, but when they focus on that fact, their customers don't pay attention. Their customers don't really care. That's because to customers, better is not actually better. Different is better. And those who market differently are the ones who win. And that's why I'm pretty happy to talk with Mike Michalowicz this week. Mike is a top keynote speaker. He's a best-selling author, a former Wall Street Journal columnist, and a business makeover specialist for MSNBC. And Simon Sinek calls him the top contender for the patron saint of entrepreneurs. Mike and I talk about his new book that's out this week, Get Different, Marketing That Can't Be Ignored. Mike and I discuss the right ways to go about knowing how and where to be different. And we discuss how to grab and keep your customer's attention. And it's all based on the methods, the tools, and the lessons from his book, Get Different. So here it is. Here's my interview with Mike McCallowitz. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Welcome to the show. It's going well, Matt. Thank you for doing this and for having me. I appreciate you. Oh, thanks for being here. I've gotten a lot of value from your books, especially Profit First. And I've heard you talk before about your purpose of eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. Before we talk about your new book, Get Different, let's talk about eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. Explain that. Before we went live like this, you have that vinyl collection to your side. To my side, I have a sign, a big sign on the wall that says eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. What that is, first of all, what it is for me is, is my life's purpose. I believe this is why I'm on this planet. And so what it is, the day you become an entrepreneur, like the world is just, oh my gosh, man, so successful. He's a millionaire. All he does is sit on the beach drinking Coronas. But the reality for most of us is not that perception. That's what we aspire perhaps to experience. Yeah. The reality is struggle. So instead of having that four hour work week, we're working a 40 hour day, if that's even possible. Like we're just cranking all the time. And entrepreneurs are struggling financially. I think it's the great irony. We start our businesses for personal freedom and financial freedom, and we seem to achieve neither. That gap is what I call entrepreneurial poverty, this perception of success, the reality of struggle. And I've lived it way too long. I've been able to resolve it for myself, and it set me on a path to hopefully serve every entrepreneur that's experiencing that. I want to fix that with them and for them. I love that. I started my entrepreneurial journey less than two years ago. I left a very secure, very cushy 
dream job, honestly. I've mm. loved the work that I got to do. I love people that I got to work with, but I decided, you know what? I've got that dream. I want to have my own venture. And I did research beforehand to understand what it was like being on your own. Even just listening to other people talk about it, even the research, it still doesn't touch like what it's really like and the behind the scenes struggle go through as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner. It's effing hard, right? I wish there was a book. Yeah, that's the title. It's effing hard. On the flip side, if you and I knew what we were getting into, would we have done it? I think the mystique and that draw of success, how are we define it? Financial, personal freedom, flexibility, service, whatever those elements are, that's very alluring. And if we knew that this is going to be the greatest psychological test of your life, greatest physical test of your life, like all those elements are going to come into play. How bad how long can you drive forward without any sleep? How big of a smile can you put on in front of customers when you're really exhausted? How can you convince prospect that you're the best of service when you have no money in your wallet? Like they don't tell us about that. Maybe it's a good thing because when we jump into it, those are things we'll experience and learn. I also believe this to be true. If we didn't do it, it would be the biggest regret of our lives. Never to have done it and say in our final breath, what could I have done? What was the opportunity I missed? So regardless of ultimate success or failure, the fact that you and listeners, that we're entrepreneurs, that we've done this, I think is a big freaking deal. It really is. It really is. One of my friends, someone that I've gotten to know here in Nashville is Gigi Butler. She founded Gigi's Cupcakes, the largest cupcake franchise ever. And she talks about some of her lessons around you know, what it takes to be able to take that step. And she focuses on the question, instead of getting to the end of your life and saying, well, what if, what if I had done that? Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, what if, say, why not? Why not me? Why not right now? I love that. I love that you're in Nashville, by the way. I I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. I have a few friends down there. And I think Nashville is becoming like this entrepreneurial hub. It's such an innovative community. And I wonder if it's part because of the music and the impact that music's had on just the way we are willing to explore and try things out. There's a book that came out or an article, The Five Regrets of the Dying or something like that. But basically right. the person interviewed, I think she was a in hospice care or something like that, but she interviewed people who were dying and said, what did you miss out on? And as far as I recall, no one said, I wish I worked more. But Everyone said, I wish I pursued my dreams unabated. I wish I pursued more time to be of service and to experience happiness. I think that's the essence of entrepreneurship. Like It's the ultimate platform to express ourselves, to lean into who we are, to be expressive and to be of service. When I read in that article, that biggest regret that people had was not doing things. Yeah, That inspired me that if we have a yearning to be an entrepreneur, regardless of the ultimate outcome is what we anticipated or not, the fact we did it, we got something checked off on our list. I think that's a big deal. That's absolutely it. And at the same time, I think one of those regrets too was not having the time or not spending the right amount of time with family members or spending the right amount of time doing those things that help make life worth living. And when you're an entrepreneur, especially in those first years, if you're in that entrepreneurial poverty role, you can be struggling, 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 churning and churning and working all these hours that you don't get that opportunity to spend time on the things that do matter. But there is a better way, even when you're an entrepreneur and your books help people to get to that point. But I want to talk about how Get Different and the lessons in marketing can help eradicate 
entrepreneurial poverty. So talk to me about Get Different. Yeah, so Get Different. And thanks for this opportunity just to share this with your community, Matt. I, I really do appreciate this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Get Different is my newest book. It's releasing on September 21st this year. And I wrote it. The inspiration behind it was a realization that small business, as a general rule, is better than big business in so many facets. The small business owner cares more about their clients. They're more invested in the client having a successful outcome. The follow-through is better. Often they're far more nimble than the large companies. Like I don't think if you or I place an order on Amazon that Jeff Bezos is you know, packing that up and then shipping it over or giving us a call saying, hey, how'd it go? He's in space. He's in, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. In that freaking phallic ship of his. But on the flip side, the local re- retailer here that sells the same product really cares about the customer experience because that's how they're going to retain the customer. They, they follow up and say, hey, how's your experience with the product? If they don't have in stock, they say, let's see if we can find you an alternative that satisfies you, maybe even more. Maybe this wasn't the right thing. Inevitably, small business in some capacity is better than their larger competitors. And often when I interview business owners, almost all of them would argue that they're better than any of their contemporaries in some capacities, faster response, better quality, whatever it is. And I believe this emphatically, and this became the inception of the book, that if you are better than the competition, you have a damned responsibility to market. Because if the customer is buying the alternative, they are getting a lesser product or a lesser experience. It may be the customer's fault, but it's our problem. I think we need to market. And I wrote Get Different to be the great equalizer. How can small business market in a way that their prospects, the ones they desire to serve, notice them and desire to buy from them? Yeah, but when I talk to small business owners and we think about marketing, a lot of times the general populace thinks about marketing in the traditional sense, you know, big TV ads, Super yes. Bowl ads, or even some of the like digital ads, online ads. And a lot of small business owners say, well, that's not me. I mean, like all that marketing is just sleazy. I'd rather focus on creating a good product and relying yep. on word of mouth. The most common refrain I get from entrepreneurs who are not successful at marketing to say, I don't market because marketing is bothersome. I don't want to bother my prospect. And they also say, I am proud to say that all my leads or the majority come in from word of mouth. And I just want to respond to those two components. The fact that the majority of our leads come from word of mouth is an acknowledgement that those clients who are referring us like us and value us. That's a big deal. That's an affirmation of that. But it also means we're at the whim of those customers to market for us. So if they go out of business or they decide not to market you, you're screwed. The other part, the bothersome part, Bothersome is where we garner someone's attention to direct them to something that's not a value to them. It's very manipulative. But if our product is truly superior, if what we're offering is truly of service to the prospect, then marketing is the ultimate act of kindness because we're exposing them to something that can be of great service to them and that they're going to come out winning. Now, I'm not saying that we need to, or we should manipulate people to buy something that they didn't intend to buy. I do emphatically believe we have a responsibility to expose them to the consideration so that they can make an educated decision and really choose what serves them best. So if you are better in some capacity, you have to market. It's your responsibility. It's the kindest act you can do is to show people what you can do for them. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were talking about earlier around if this is your purpose and you're here to serve people, 
then marketing is one of those ways that you can serve people if you truly believe in what your marketing message says. I met with, uh, I put in the book, I met this guy, Yannick Silver. And if you don't know that name, he is one of the early proponents of modern day internet marketing, long copy, call to action, so forth. And he's considered by some to be the godfather of internet marketing. And uh, when I launched my first book, it was called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. It was a dismal experience. Literally on launch day, I sold zero books. And to put a frame around this, that means my own mother <laughs> didn't buy a book that day. And um, I was connected with him through through mutual contact and met with Yannick. And he said, listen, you kind of walk me through the steps I was just sharing is, you know, is your product, your book better than the alternatives? Do you believe in it? And at the end, I said, listen, dollar for dollar, this is everything I know. I can't think of anything more valuable than the work I've done to serve a specific community, which was early stage entrepreneurs. I don't believe there's anything better than this. I believe it emphatically. Then he looked at me in the eyes and says, you have a damned responsibility to market it. It's the ultimate act of kindness. If what we do is of benefit to the customer beyond what they're currently consuming, we're jeopardizing our clients by not standing up and marketing. Now, I'm not saying that we need to do what we see as traditional marketing, those big ads on the Super Bowl ads or billboards. We can't even afford it, so we shouldn't even consider it. But I'm also just not saying that we do outrageous marketing. I'm not saying like, oh, you know, dress in a chicken costume and run around to gain business. What I wrote in Get Different is a simple framework. It's the acronym's DAD, D-A-D, and stands for the three stages to garner attention. But in summary, what I found is we can differentiate and compel our audience and serve them very well, usually at no cost or very low cost. It's just a willingness to break from the norm of what our industry is currently doing, because that's white noise. If another person sends me a hey friend email, sorry, I'm deleting it. Ever since the first hey friend I got, I've never paid attention again because, oh, I know this is marketing. I don't want it because it's white noise now. The first person said, hey friend, good job, that creator that. What I'm suggesting is we in our small business needs to be the creator. The wonderful thing is when you look at the community you're serving, the niche you serve, chances are they are all being marketed to the same way, the same three ways. It's a Facebook ad or it's direct mail or it's a postcard, whatever it is. Just pick something that no one else is doing and you've already increased your odds substantially. So when everybody else is zigging, you zag. Yeah, that's it. What's so frustrating to me is that, especially like for me as a small business owner, I'll look out there and I'll see all these experts saying, this is the best practice. This is what gets success. And that's how they're getting people to sign up, get their services, get their consulting to follow what has worked traditionally. Yeah. But what you're saying is that's just getting lost in all of the noise that we're bombarded with. That's the irony. I believe those people that put that information out are truthful that it does yield this amazing success, but it very quickly wanes as the market receives the same stuff. So there's a thing called habituation. And in this book, I probably did my most scientific analytical work of all my books. Nice. It was really important to me that the people I'm serving through this understood how our mind operates. There's this one component of our brains called the reticular formation. It's basically a network of nerves that sits at the base of the brainstem. And its job has multiple functions, but its primary job, it actually is to ignore almost everything. 99.999x percent of the stimuli that's around us, we actually ignore at a subconscious level and even conscious level. 
So if you look around where you're right now, you've got those vinyls to your side, you all these different things. Chances are you're not rifling through them and evaluating each one because we're engaged in the conversation. The mind is designed to ignore most things so that we can stay focused on something. I got a pen in front of me right now. And if I pick up this pen, it's black. I could say, oh, this is interesting. Who invented the word black? What, what does black mean? And is black really black? And is this really black? I could go on for hours and hours just studying any stimuli. So the reticular formation says basically ignore. But there's three things it allows through. First thing is threats. So anytime a threat presents itself, we immediately evaluate it because we could be at harm. Uh, and that gets actually fast forwarded off into what's called the amygdala. It's, it's the fastest response. So if you ever like we're in a yard and something squiggles and you notice you're jumping back and you didn't even really consciously notice it yet, that's thanks to your amygdala, a reticular formation opened up, put it through. Thank so you, you can mark it through threat. Very ineffective way though. I could, I could plop a gun down and say, Hey Matt, we should really do a four hour interview. I think people would really like to hear us <laughs> talk for four hours. I guarantee I got your attention because I plopped down a gun. Uh, I also guarantee you're going to pop me in the face, break my nose wide open to defend yourself. Threats cause a combative scenario. So that rarely works. The second kind of marketing is opportunity marketing, a little greater success, but also a big risk. I could plop down you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash and say, Hey, can we keep this going for like another few hours? You may say yes, or you may just grab the money and say, let me think about this. Now you're walking with the money. So I'm putting myself at risk. The third scenario is the best for marketing because it costs nothing, but it always gets past the reticular formation. And what it is, is the unknown. When something unexpected presents itself and our mind hasn't experienced uh, recently or in this context, it actually opens it up, fast forwards it for consideration. And our prefrontal cortex, that's where conscious thought happens, starts evaluating this thing. Is this something that's a threat? Then I got to get out of here. Is it an opportunity, something for me to consume? Or is this something I should store away as future ignorable stuff and never pay attention again? That first, hey, friend email, if you were like me, Matt, the first one that I got my reticular formation opened up. I was like, Hey, who's this friend calling me friend? Yeah. Like this is the most friendly friend I've ever had that first one. And then as I started reading through, I'm like, Oh, this is irrelevant marketing. I don't want it. And the second one I didn't pay attention to. And I've never paid attention to one since. Cause I know it's marketing. We just have to be the first. Here's a great thing. As a reminder, if we're targeting a specific community, chances are if you do something different, they're going to notice, but you'll probably be the only person doing that different for a long time. The hey friends were promoted by the experts saying, oh my gosh, I found a great opening line. That's a game changer. And it was until everyone had received it. And once we all got our first one and saw it as innocuous, we never paid attention again. If there's a game changer, then eventually all it does is just ups the game. And then that's exactly right. And you've got to find a new game changer. That's right. When I wrote Get Different, I didn't call these marketing plans because I think it's a mistake. A marketing plan implies commitment. I'm going to do those Facebook ads and I'm going to keep cranking those out. One of the biggest lies I found in marketing is that if it's not working, you're not doing enough of it. And we've all heard this, like, oh, you're running ads, you're not getting business, you're not running enough ads. You're doing Facebook, not getting business, got to do more Facebook, spend more. And that's total- Swear word. I know the truth to be, at least from my perspective, is that we need to run marketing experiments. Marketing experiment, implied in that word experiment, is that it may work or maybe it won't, but that's the whole idea, is discovery. So we try out these different things. You try out whatever new marketing mechanism that you've come up with, you put it out there and then we measure, does this get results or not? If it does, then we start amplifying it and improving upon it. If it doesn't, is there a lesson to be learned here? Can we tweak it or should it be totally abandoned? But we want to run marketing experiments to find the next effective thing for our community. 
And when I think of you know most business owners or when I think of C-suite leaders and a marketer comes to them with the idea of experimenting, that sounds risky. Like, why would I want to invest in an experiment when I can invest in what I think is the sure thing, the best practice? Right. And that's the common response. So there's safety in best practices. And this is actually, if we rewind back to the caveman days, it is our wiring to stay consistent with what everyone else is doing. So just a quick primer on this. Back in the hunter-gatherer days, if you and I are hunters in the same tribe and I go, the group says, let's go after a woolly mammoth. I'm like, hey, I got a better idea. Let's go through a saber-toothed tiger. Let's do this. And I go running out there. If the rest of the tribe isn't persuaded by that, now I'm on my own. And likely I'll be kicked out of the tribe for even confronting the idea of going after this woolly mammoth. My, I'm likely dead. It is impossible to survive individually. And so fast forward to today, uh, while society is advanced, our brain still works under the same stimulus. If I do something that's different, I might get kicked out of the tribe. People may make fun of me. There's going to be social consequences. So there's this really weird dichotomy. And I see it happen with the C-suites. I see it happen with small business. There's this interesting dichotomy is that we want our business to be noticeable without being noticed. We want to stand out without having to be different and stand out. We just need to put our advanced thought over that subconscious historical driver. What we need to realize that is if we distinguish ourselves from what everyone else is doing, maybe our existing community won't get it but maybe the right community will find us. So if we speak the truth of our brand, if we speak consistent with our natural values and put that in a marketing piece and do different, the right community is going to say, finally, I found my person. They're finally putting the word out. That's it. And I think that that speaks to being noticed without being noticed too much. I think that speaks to a lot of leaders saying, well, we want to focus on being better. And what I've come to learn, what I've come to realize is that Better is not necessarily better. It's different that's better. That's right. I use that line even in the book. What I found is better is very invisible. So say you and I had like fiercely competing businesses and I answer the phone for our customer service line in two rings and you answer your customer service in one ring. You are measurably better, 100% better. You're doing it half the time. But does the customer really notice? And the answer is probably not. We our service offering and our products, we can often differentiate ourselves in many ways, not differentiate, we can, we can improve upon the current offering in many ways. I, I experienced this firsthand. I had a computer business. That was my first company as a computer guy. I had all the accolades and certifications that you could get in that industry, which I could argue I am far better than most of the providers in this market because of these certifications and what I've proven in the market. But then one computer company started and that company kicked my Sunday. It was Geek Squad. Geek Squad uh-huh. unequivocally was not better, but they were willing to put on flood pants and tape their glasses and put on these thin ties. And that costume was different. That got noticed. And by default, the customer started to inquire about them, hiring them. Robert Stevens, he's the founder, grew them, sold to Best Buy. Collectively, Geek Squad and Best Buy now is a billion dollar, you know, the B valuation. My company did not get a billion dollar, not even a billion penny valuation. That points to the power of different over better. Awesome. Love that story. Not for you, but for the sake of differentiation. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, 
I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. So how can business owners get different? And I think that's through your dad framework. Yes. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. What I try to do in this book is boil down the essence of effective marketing and found that there's really three elements that get you 90% of the way there. And it's dad. It's an acronym for three stages. The first stage is differentiate. And we already talked about this. We need to do something that no one else is doing and it'll get past that reticular formation of our prospects. If everyone's doing Facebook ads, why don't you be the one sending out old-fashioned postcards? Or if everyone's doing postcards, why don't you be the one running a billboard ad or, or perhaps doing cold calls? Whatever the market is doing as the established means has become habituated, meaning our mind is so prepared to receive this, this kind of knowledge, it's become white noise and we ignore it, that kind of input. That's what, what habituation is. We hear the same thing over and over. We know it's not relevant. We'll never pay attention again. So first, differentiate. The beautiful thing about differentiation is it guarantees attention 100% of the time. You do something different, I guarantee you got your prospect's attention because it's different. Here's the problem. It lasts about one-tenth of a second. It actually takes longer to blink than it does to get disregarded as irrelevant. So you need to move on to the next step all in this flash of a second. The next step is A, to attract. Whatever our message is, it needs to be compelling to the audience. Does it serve a problem or need they have? Or does this invoke curiosity or interest and intrigue, entertainment? I think Super Bowl ads are demonstrative of this. They do something different, usually because it's fresh and new, it's funny or unexpected, and they tell a story or something. So it's attractive. There's a reason why there's fans of the Super Bowl commercials and they get reviewed and so forth. But those commercials often, almost actually always fail to address the last, which I'd argue perhaps the most critical component, which is direct. So first yeah. differentiate, then attract. And then direct. And direct is to give your prospect a specific action to take that moves closer to the transaction. Or maybe it's the transaction itself, but you have to tell them explicitly what to do. When I watch those ads like Budweiser or whatever, and they got the Clydesdales clapping around and stuff, I'm into it. It's cool. I want to be in that little prototypical American tiny town with the snow coming down. <laughs> but why don't they at the end say, 
text in your email address and that will send you a coupon for a six pack or something. Now they could garner hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of emails and have the permission to market those people going forward. And they can garner tons of business. Budweiser has such a massive budget. Maybe they have the luxury of not doing that critical step, but small business, we have to. So once you have a customer engaged, what do you want them to do next? Be explicit, be clear. This is the key thing. Be reasonable. You know, if you're looking to buy a car and I'm a car salesperson, I attract you into my lot. You say, Hey, I'm looking for a car. It'll be unreasonable to say, Hey, Matt, give me a hundred grand. I'll put it in my pocket for now, but we'll find you the perfect car because I know you can afford it. You'll be like, screw you. Like, who does that? Forget it. But if I said, Hey, Matt, would you be willing to give me your cell number? I'll text you pictures of our inventory. I want to find your dream car. Chances are that's much more reasonable and you would do that. And by now having that contact information for you, I can move the next step and yet the next step after that closer to the transaction. Collectively, that's the DAD framework, differentiate, attract, and direct. And when you talk about being reasonable, I've got to think that being reasonable has different meanings based on the interactions or based on what you're selling. That's right. So you know, so I'm an author guy. What, what I sell is books. You know, It's going to be $25 at the most. And so in regards to the context of an entrepreneur saying, hey, I'm interested in solving this problem. Your book solves this problem. It probably is appropriate for me to say, well, this book will solve it. Please purchase this book for $25 on whatever platform, Amazon or something. That makes sense. But when the transaction becomes greater or you're putting yourself, you're giving yourself more exposure. So if, for example, I said, so great, you have these entrepreneurial problems, fill out this form where we do a diagnosis in your business. I'm curious about your name, your contact information, your business revenue, your profitability, blah, 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 all this information. Um, that may become, that currency may be too much of an exchange. It may be too overwhelming. This is too invasive and we don't do it. So the definition of reasonable is that it's specific, that the prospect feels that they feel comfort in the transaction that moves them toward what they want and isn't an impedance or intrusive beyond a reasonable degree. It's almost like kind of law theory. Uh, Reasonable, to your point, is a variable based upon the circumstances around us. But you know it when you experience it. Right. You know it when you see it. Yes. So why do you think so many businesses have so much trouble embracing being different? So many businesses struggle with it because it plays into that natural drive of all humanity to fit in. I've yet to meet a person that says, and truly means, I wish everyone would reject me. We all want to be accepted. It plays into Mavlov's hierarchy of needs, that, that need of belonging, which is the third level beyond food and water and safety, we have to belong to a tribe. Putting ourselves out there in a different way can result in rejection. So we have to understand and appreciate the fact that that is a real fear that we have. But the irony is that consequence in modern society really doesn't exist. If you do something different, you may experience some rejection from the community around you currently or whoever that may be, but we're such a massive population. There's always someone interested in what you do. So the irony about you know being different is actually being authentic. It's kind of a yin and yang here. Being truly ourselves is different for a lot of people because we're really truly expressing ourselves, which is authentic to ourselves, which is very comfortable. So when you lean into your natural self-expression or your company's natural cultural expression and really leaning into that, that's when you stand out and get noticed. That's being different. There you go. And just given where we are today with just being bombarded with so much information already, even if somebody does kind of shun you, I think they'll likely forget about it sometime later anyway. 
Right. That, that's exactly what happens because we don't have time to harp on stuff like that. So you get a message like, oh, that was kind of weird or creepy. We'll ignore it going forward. And that burn kind of fades pretty quickly when weirdo kind of clings to it, but it kind of fades quickly. Yeah. What's amazing though, is you start getting a community that rallies around you. When people go to my website, I believe it's radically different than my contemporary. Most authors don't have websites like mine. And what's so interesting is I regularly get people saying, wow, I've never experienced a site like this. This is so cool. I love that. You're just like me. That's what I'm trying to convey in my marketing. There's some people just kind of fade out. I say, this guy's stupid or he's too silly, too goofy. And they say, not for me. But kind of the trash talking or whatever, or the consequences, probably is a better choice of words, really aren't there. I've yet to see any negative consequences from putting myself out fully as I am. But in the other part too, is when my marketing is congruent with your experience with my company and myself, when there's congruency, it actually amplifies trust. People are like, oh my God, he's just like he puts himself out there. Some people are expecting the fraud. We put ourselves one way out there in marketing and we're different otherwise. But when people, I think something to remember is no one knows what the experience is with your company until they hire and experience your company. No one will know what that experience is. The only thing they'll know is your marketing. So your marketing needs to be truly speak to who you are, but put it out there. Be the extreme, albeit real you, put the extreme you out there. And if that's what attracts your people, then you need to make sure that your experience matches that. That's right. So like when someone goes to my website and I'm self-deprecating and goofy, admittedly, that is actually who I am in my book. So when someone reads my books, they're like, oh my gosh, this guy like he kind of goofs around, there's some corny jokes and so forth. I'm like, absolutely. That's just who I am. And not everyone's gonna love it, but the people like who love the marketing love the rest of the experience. You know, you set yourself up for a win when you market consistently with how the company is. Absolutely. And maybe if they get deep enough into your experience and work with you enough, they'll understand your connection to Carly Simon. <laughs> So I do these little Easter eggs and um, it's kind of like if you watch a cartoon as an adult, like some of these cartoon movies, I should say, and you're like, oh my God, there's more adult jokes in here. Our yeah. children never see it, but, but yeah. we see it and it, it evolves that it re-engages at a new level. I do the same thing. And I think that's a, a good marketing opportunity. They're Easter eggs. So I will put things in my marketing. So the, the Carly Simon things referenced in my, in one of my books, uh, I made the dedication to Carly Simon. So when people, there's an option to contact our business, it says, please send all your, anything you send, please send it to Carly Simon's attention. It's a little insight into a deeper story. So some people that are still at the initial level, kind of got a child watching one of these cartoon movies. It's still a fun experience, but they don't get the connection. As you get deeper into the brand, they're like, oh, I get that one now. Well done. And uh, it's just another level of engagement. Yeah. Kind of like an inside joke. It's exactly what it is. My boys and I, we love watching the Marvel movies. And my oldest son has gotten really steeped into learning about all the characters, their backstories, and all these things. He reads lots of different Marvel encyclopedias. And so whenever some Easter egg pops up in a movie, he'll be like, oh, I think that's related to that. It's fun to be able to connect with that experience at a deeper level. Yeah. I guess that's that points to this concept of the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule that 20% of our customer base is going to want to go deeper with us. And it doesn't mean necessarily upselling them more products or services, maybe, but I think there's opportunities to ingratiate them further into our brand. And you can do it through those inside jokes, backstories, and so forth. In one of my books, I reference my rap career which I didn't have one, but I referenced it. And my nickname is Fat Daddy Fatback. 
Well, some people actually Google it. And sure enough, there's stuff about fat daddy fat back out there because we set these little Easter eggs in the web. I don't promote it anywhere. Um, there's no links for my site, but if you do it, and, and this isn't just me. I remember watching the the TV show, The Office, Dwight Schrute. You know, there's website, there's a Yelp review of Dwight Schrute's farm, and there's thousands of reviews of people's experience buying beets. It's all <laughs> fictitious, but it's so much fun for people that get steeped into that experience. I think when people are steeped in that in the experience, when they go deeper, they're more committed. And even if that person isn't the one that you're able to upsell to, they're still the fan that is proclaiming about that experience and somebody else that is able to get that upsell, they'll hear about it. Yeah. Right. It's totally true. It does invoke that word of mouth, which is kind of ironic because I, I talked about in the beginning of our discussion, that word of mouth is at the whim of customers, but it is also the icing on the cake. I'm just saying it's not the cake. We need to deliberately drive opportunities to our business. Yeah. Part of it is deliberately encourage people to do word of mouth and stuff like that will do that. I think so. And that's the word of mouth around the differentiation. So you've got the word of mouth around the experience, but it really helps to have that word of mouth around what's different. Hey, you have to go check this out. Uh, Hey, there's this really funny video or there's this really great marketing piece that this person did. You need to go check that out. I was researching what makes things go viral. And there's no question, uh, something that's different goes viral. Secrecy is actually a very powerful thing too. So those Easter eggs, when we, the consumer that have knowledge that someone else doesn't have, there's a compulsion to show or demonstrate our knowledge, which is AKA, it's like a power play almost like, oh, right. I have a secret. You got to discover this. That's why gossip is, is so effective. Oh, you wouldn't believe what someone so did in town. And we're like, yes, what was it? And that person who shares it often ends by saying, but don't tell anyone this, this <laughs> is just between me and you, which really means I'm sharing something with you that I'm going to share with others. I don't want you to share it first. So there's this weird dynamic of demonstrating I have something that you don't, but also inviting you not to share it so I can spread it wild, more, more wildly. Well, this isn't just for gossip. This is true for marketing. When we have these Easter eggs out there, people will talk about it to demonstrate they have access or knowledge or connection to something greater than the people they're telling. And the only way to demonstrate that is by telling them. So it's a great viral method. Yeah. It's showcasing that you're part of the inside group. Inside group. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about being different and there's all these ways to do it, but what would you say to a business owner or a business leader who says, this is all great and good, but different wouldn't work in my industry. Different wouldn't work for my business. You know, when, when I was writing the book, we were experimenting. We worked with over a hundred companies uh, through this process. And actually I, I wrote one of those stories in the book is owned by a, a friend of mine who ironically is actually visiting me in a few days. He's in Colorado. I'm in the East coast. He owns a real estate agency and said, you know what, this is great, but it doesn't work for real estate. We're an established industry. And I respond now, not my line. This is Robert Stevens, the founder of geek squad. He says the more common and boring an industry, the greater the opportunity to market by being different because everyone's doing the same thing. We, the consumer have become habituated. It's we, the consumer have become habituated. It's such an ex- expectation that you can break it up. Real estate's the same way. It's the same sign in the yard, same, same, same. So just minor changes. And what we did in his case, we changed the signs from the standard post signs to a windmill sign. If you ever see a garden yeah. windmill, a small ones, put signs on it. That subtle change is noticeable because who does that? So if you're feeling your industry can't change because it's so established or whatever your reasoning is, that's actually indicating you have the biggest opportunity to differentiate yourself. 
And even a subtle shift will get noticed. Yeah, that's right. And understanding that being different doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be super outrageous. It can still be subtle, subtle enough to get noticed. Yeah. And, and I think that's a key differentiator too, is when people hear about my book and like, oh, get different. They're like, oh, but I'm not going to put on a clown costume or chicken suit. Like, that's not who I am. I'm like, no, no, we're not talking about outrageous marketing. We're just talking about marketing that is true to you and unique to your prospect. Awesome. Well, Mike, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for Get Different, what songs would you include? I appreciate you giving me this question in advance because I had to think about it. And and maybe there's something a little bit different in here. So first is, they're really inspiration for me, but hopefully they inspire the people that hear because it is true to me. So first one's Times Like These by Foo Fighters. I listen to that song every time before I go on stage over and over again. And I tie it to a mnemonic. There's a lick in that song that I can say, I am here to serve. I am here to serve. And it goes, dude, it matches the lick over and over. Plus it shows the appreciation for the moment. So that's why that that's my opening song. Rock of Ages. I'm a big uh, 80s fan and uh, Def Leppard. I think their marquee album was album Pyromania. The yeah. number two album, in my opinion, is highly high and dry. And uh, anything they did after Pyromania is just God awful, in my opinion. But I love them up to Pyromania. Rock of Ages is just this marquee song. Some people don't know the background, the history of that song. They wrote the song. They didn't have a title for it or the lyrics. They were recording in a studio where someone was doing a read of the Bible prior, a recording of the Bible, and they had left it open and it was open to the section about Rock of Ages. And so it actually was derived from biblical reading, ironically. Wow. I've always thought about the biblical verse and the scripture and even the hymn, but I didn't realize the actual story for that song, like how closely that actually tied. Joe Elliott looked down and he's like, oh, we found it. That's it. Um, Shine on you crazy diamond. That's, uh, you know, Mm. by Pink Floyd. Yeah. What I love about that song is it's a it's a shout out to Sid Barrett. And I think he was institutionalized and was going through real challenges. But what they were showing was appreciation for his uniqueness. That kind of speaks to what I'm writing about and get different. But it's honestly, I think the biggest determinant of a happy life, at least for me, is to be truly who I am. As crazy as the rest of the world will see you, you are a diamond. Here's the one that's kind of wacky out there and different. The, the fourth song would be Absolute Silence and not a song called Absolute Silence. It's just silence. I discovered something. I don't really practice meditation necessarily, but I do things where I listen. I historically was listening to meditative music. Like, you know, the, it's not even a song. It's just sounds that are supposedly help you go into a trance. Like and waterfalls I was reading in, in some yeah, ohms and stuff. I was reading some book and it said, actually silence is the most meditative, just listening for any kind of sound in nature to hear what you can hear. And it's the most mind opening. I found silence to be actually the most restorative. And that's what I want to do in my little five track here is, um, is just give people for them silence because we don't have much of it anymore. True. And then the last song, going back to a song would be Eminem's lose yourself. Like if you can't get jacked up to lose yourself, you just can't get jacked up. I would end with that just to get people inspired and fired up. Love that. Wow. Love those songs, especially including silence. Because a lot of times we're trying to think about, okay, how am I going to stand out? How am I going to succeed in my business? How can I get different? And it's hard to be able to think about ideas on being able to be different when you've got so many distractions. But if you can focus on being silent, that's when a lot of clarity comes in. At least for me, it's not deliberate practice. There's constant stimulus around. Just really in the last six months, I started making a habit out of just absolute silence. And it's a little disconcerting in the beginning because it's like, there's nothing, but now it's become 
an eye opener for me. And, and I actually look forward to that experience. I don't do it daily. I'm not there yet, but at least two, maybe sometimes three times a week, I'm just embracing silence for a good hour straight. There you go. Love it. My kids are off at school right now. So maybe I will uh, <laughs> get a few minutes of silence. A rare opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, I love this. I uh, love learning from you. Loved hearing your songs. I know there's so much more to learn. Where can people go to learn more from you? I think the place right now is to go to gogetdifferent.com. That is the resource site for the book, Get Different. I think it's a great starting point, selfishly, because there is an exchange there. There's a direct, there's an option to get free resources. But what I like is it's not the generic free resources. What I have up there is a hundred ways to immediately market your business at no cost or low cost that is different. And what I hope is even if someone doesn't buy the book, at least if they get these free resources, that they'll start experimenting on their own and that they'll find our small business can stand out that we can, or big business. If we offer something that is better than the alternatives and we will serve this responsibility, I hope they're going to find a way on that list to get started. There you go. If anyone is struggling with figuring out how to do it, these ideas can at least jumpstart you. Exactly. Mike, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your lessons and grateful for you being here. Oh, this has been a joy. I'm honored, Matt, that you had me on your show. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Mike Michalowicz. So go ahead and check out his book, Get Different. It's out this week. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Michael Solomon. Michael's the co-founder of 10X Management, where they help companies find the top tech experts. He's been featured in Harvard Business Review, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, CNN, and much more. And he's the co-author of Game Changer, How to Be 10X in the Talent Economy. In Game Changer, Michael teaches leaders how to attract, manage, and retain highly skilled, highly sought-after individuals. And when they do that, their businesses become more agile and innovative and experience transformational growth. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Michael's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.